friends, welcome back to Zach and Brian Watch the Watchmen, a DC three cast joint. My name is Brian. Shockingly, with me is Zach. We're gonna be talking about the third episode of the HBO Watchmen television series. She was killed by space junk. Zach, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, again, we say this every week. If you haven't watched the episode yet, go avoid this. Watch the episode and then come back and talk to us. Um, we should mention, we are recording this on Monday, the 21st of October, so this is the first time that there are actual reviews out there about Watchmen thus far. Uh, what have you seen so far, Zach? Has the response been pretty good or, or pretty bad or what? I feel like the response that I've seen has been like pretty overwhelmingly positive. Of course, you know, I've seen a few negative takes and a few like maybe lukewarm takes, but I feel like in general it's been really well received. Um, I actually... So, so, I mean, on one hand, I saw people favorably, favorably comparing it to things like Joker or The Boys, which are not things that I like. But then no. I have seen people comparing it to something like Black Panther, um, which I do like. So um, it, I think the takes have been very entertaining and funny, but I think overall, overall um, I, I feel like it has been pretty positive. Yeah, I agree. You know, aside from a certain guy, uh, I'm not going to name any names. We'll call him uh, Ons Vostrowski. Um, I, I, most of the people whose opinions I trust have been pretty have been pretty spot on so far. Um, mm -hmm. At least with with how I with how I have seen the show thus far. Um, but anyway, yeah. let's let's get into this. We're episode. probably in our own little echo chamber, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that is probably true as well. <laughs> um, but let's get to the episode. So this is the first, the first episode to really have a um, sort of a focus that wasn't Angela. I mean, she's obviously a big part of this episode, but the focus here is is really on Lori. And Laurie's going by the name of Laurie Blake. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll say so. Like I, I had already seen in the casting that that Laurie was in the show, but I don't think that her name as Laurie Blake had been revealed. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I didn't know that. And so when she comes on screen, um. And we have these kind of two overlapping sequences, one where she's making a phone call to Dr. Manhattan, which is amazing, <laughs> which is amazing and and telling a joke, which we'll get to that later. And then the other where she is staging a bank heist. And so you don't know who she is at first, but I thought, oh, this is probably this is probably Lori because, she, you know, she fits the age. Um, it, it seems about the right time to introduce her. But then when they refer to her as Blake and they refer to her as Blake before they, anyone calls her Lori, right. um, that, that was a really interesting twist, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, what do you make of her going by Blake at this point in her life? I think that it makes sense. I think it kind of tracks with her trajectory at the end of Watchmen, um, the comic, um, because that is kind of her beginning to ter come to terms with her parentage. And here we see her, you know, we eventually find out, um, you know, she's not actually robbing a bank. She's actually an FBI agent in charge of anti-vigilante activities. And I kind of feel like, 
having her move into that role, it it's very, I think it's very easy to imagine her kind of starting to see the world through the lens of her father a little bit more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's it's a somewhat bold decision from a filmmaking standpoint, if only because I think for most people, even if they can, I think even the most sympathetic takes on the comedian show that he's a real prick <laughs> and that he mm-hmm, did yeah, some really yeah. terrible things. And so to have one of your main characters align ideologically with such a prick and align with the person who raped her mother, you know, like it is, it's, I think it's a pretty bold choice. I, I think so too. Um, and I feel like there will be hopefully, I mean, maybe there'll be, will be some good discussion about that um, from people who are way more equipped to talk about that than I am. But <laughs> yes. um, I, I think it's an interesting choice. And I, I mean, like just, the idea of, of you know what it means for someone who kind of like she you know she grew up without a father figure and then you know he died before she found out that he was her father and i can like only imagine the kind of like emotional turmoil that comes out of sure, that and just yeah. wrestling with it and then and to but to see her have like already maybe wrestled with that not to say that she's not but like to come to the point over the last 30 or so years where she can use his name, mm-hmm. uh, um, I think is, again, it's kind of what the show has done a really good job at so far of like implying story and world building and plot without beating you over the head with it. Yes. And, you know, the sort of cynical part of me thought, well, maybe this is how she gets ahead in her professional career. Sure, like he, sure. He works. He worked for the government. Use his name. You know, it just it's a yeah. It, it's a professional thing, right? Um, right. But I mean, and and as is kind of like pointed out in the episode, you know, that is hardly even the most famous tie that she has. Well, you exactly. Know? Yes. And th- no one really mentions her father. Right. You know. Right. The, that that is not that doesn't really come up in conversation at all. Um, did you happen to notice what the headline in the newspaper was? That, that the guy was reading in the bank. I I remember uh, I do remember seeing it, but I don't remember what the headline was. What, it was Grisham to retire from Supreme Court. Yes, I did see that. Okay, <laughs> that was very uh, that, that was that was interesting and sort of continues this. You know, if the president is a movie star, you know, it, it, there's actually a line in Back to the Future where. Uh, where Doc Brown like lambasts Marty for suggesting that, and you know, who's Secretary of State? And then he names some other celebrity of the time, you know. So I feel like that's that's an interesting take of you know. I presume it's supposed to be John Grisham, you know, not just yeah, uh, another not just Grisham. A random Grisham. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I did see that, and I didn't quite make that connection, but I think that that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, all right, so we get. We get her call. You want to talk about the joke now or you want to save the joke for later? Well, so like the joke plays out over the course of the episode. And so I think maybe we can talk about the content of the joke a little bit and then save the punchline for the end. Maybe. Sure. sure yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so there are, there are two jokes that she tells. Um, yeah. Technically. <laughs> although not really. Technically. Uh, so she the, the first joke is about somebody who is a bricklayer and is teaching his daughter to build 
I believe it's a, a grill or a barbecue or something outside. And yeah, barbecue. And yeah. there's an extra brick, and so she throws it up in the air, and then Lori forgets the punchline. And it's just on the second joke, and this is the joke that plays out kind of over the course of the whole episode, which is about three superheroes going to see God um, at the pearly gates. And the three are Night Owl, uh, Ozymandias, and Dr. Manhattan, essentially. And we'll get to the mm-hmm. punchline sort of in a little while. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, this might be a good time maybe to talk a little bit about – so we – we kind of know where Vite and Dr. Manhattan are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that third hero, Night Owl, we get a little bit of information about him in this episode. Yes. Um, uh, Senator... Um, Senator Reese? Bob. What's the last name? Though? I can't I can't get that in my head. No. Kane. Or no, Keen. Keen. See, re- re- is the other guy. Okay. Um yeah. 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 Okay. Jeez. I, for some reason, Keen, I can't get in my head. Um. So he, he basically says that. So so first of all, when we meet Lori's owl. She's a pet owl named Who. Um, who? Yeah. Which is great. Uh. And then, but Senator Bob Benson basically says to her, like, you know, <laughs> uh, if we, you know, if you play your cards right, we can get your owl out from behind bars. And we're led to believe that Night Owl's in prison, um, which is a, which is an interesting take. Yeah, uh, it and... takes him off the table for this season, which I think is probably mm-hmm. wise. I think this season really needs to establish the show as something more than just a sequel to the comic. And so, right. by limiting the characters in the show, it's a good thing. But by not having him dead, it allows you to go to that well in the future. Hmm. Yeah. Um, little little speculation about why he's in prison. Do you think that is tied to vigilantism? I mean, maybe. You know what? What makes this hard is that well, she is part of the anti-vigilante task force, right? But you mm-hmm. don't think that she'd arrest her husband necessarily. No, but I can see that they split over that divide and that maybe he was arrested after, not necessarily tied to her. Um, sure. Or maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe they had split beforehand and maybe that is what caused them to split. Because I think it, they do specifically mention that they were they they are separated. Do they say that? I thought so. I thought that I did hear that maybe i'm misremembering but i I thought it was at least implied that they that they are separated i mean her actions imply that yeah um but that's a whole other story for sure sure now um interestingly here we get she walks into her apartment and she says play devo which is where the the name of the song is space junk and the lyric in the song is she was killed by space junk which is why the episode is titled that but we see sort of like a proto amazon alexa that plays her song by request, but doesn't, but again, it's based off of CDs. So mm-hmm. there, there's this, there's this interesting thing again of technology without internet. Sure, sure. And so, um, this would be a good time to bring up that link that you sent me. Um, yes. Prior to the episode, so I didn't read all of the documents, and and for anyone who's at home, and if you don't uh, haven't heard about this, there is a a website that you can go to, and we should probably just include the. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but there's a link to um, some documents 
that are in universe. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't read all of them, but I did read the first one called memo, the computer and you, um, has some pretty in interesting information about the role and kind of status of technology in this universe. You want to summarize it briefly? Uh, I, I can, or, or do you think, I, I mean, yeah, I can. Um, essentially, like the gist of it is that um, technology, you know, the reason we haven't seen a lot of computers and cell phones and um, kind of the technology that we have now is because kind of like you guessed, Brian, I think in a previous episode, a lot of technology was based around Dr. Manhattan and his abilities. And so after the events of Watchmen, there was a uh, kind of a lot of mistrust and fear about that technology. And, you know, does it cause cancer? Does it open rifts into alternate dimensions? <laughs> you know, normal things. And so um, it really kind of uh, hampered the development of technology as we have it. And so uh, this memo is kind of uh, uh, a memorandum amongst the FBI telling them that they all have to start using computers and word processors. <laughs> and it, it, ha it has a very antiquated feel. You know, it's the kind of thing that you would relate more to like the late eighties, early nineties than the, you know, the 2019 late teens. Yeah. 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 So a uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also get a little bit of information in this scene with Senator Bob Benson about the sort of why the police officers in Tulsa are wearing masks. You know, they, they call it the defensive police act DOPA as the, uh, DOPA. the acronym. Um, but, you know, we get a little bit of it seems that, you know, that he is the one who put this this legislation forward and that other cities are going to be trying to come on board and to do this. And so we, you know, we get a little bit of information about sort of just the the start of this. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because I don't I don't know if this was your assumption, but I, I kind of got the impression that this was the status quo, maybe across the majority of America, but yes, agreed. the, the fact that this is very much like a, a prototypical program that's kind of being piloted in Tulsa is a really interesting idea. Um, I, that DOPA is also, um, one of two acts that are mentioned in this episode. I, I think the second one, this is the first time we've heard about it. The, the victims of racial violence act, um, isn't that, isn't that kind of what we see in the, uh, where, where, hmm. No, I guess it I is don't the know first if time, that's yeah. The, yeah, I don't know if it's the same thing as the Red Predations. Um, right, yeah, I don't so, think it is. So, yeah, so this Victims of Racial Violence Act, um, I actually, so I'm a terrible note taker, I don't. I don't remember exactly what it was brought up in relation to. I just wrote it down because I thought it was interesting. Um, but I do remember that it, it essentially kind of answered the question that I think we had in the last episode about what differentiates the seventh K from kind of more typical um, white supremacy, white, white supremacist groups. And that um, this victims of racial violence act is really kind of the thing that turned them against the government and particularly the police. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's again, it's it's an interesting. Like, so there, there's a scene we should we should just mention this. So Lori goes to an FBI briefing, 
and we get a sort of information dump about the 7th Cavalry, and that's where we get that information. We also find out that that's okay. a Custer's Last Stand reference. Yes, yes, you're right. Um, and we also get introduced to uh, everyone's favorite intern. Uh, is it Petey? Petey, yeah. yeah. Um, who, as, who is actually the, I think... Uh, this the the fictional website that we'll link to is kind of um, in universe managed and maintained by him. Okay, um, and so essentially the FBI wants to send Lori and an entire team down there to investigate Judd Crawford's death. She says that she's she's gonna go alone and she'll bring Petey essentially with her. Um, then we get a scene of them on the tarmac, or I guess I guess in air. Going to uh, going to Tulsa, and we see Lori for the first time really discuss her past in any real way. Um, you know, PD asks, I guess, kind of a fanboy question, but not really. He basically asks if he knew Adrian Veidt, if she mm-hmm. knew Adrian Veidt, and she says, like, do you want my autograph? And she she basically just just tries to take him to task. For for caring about who she was, but then he has a really thoughtful answer that he was a history major and you know he he cares about this stuff a lot and she yeah, starts not to... even just like a history major but a he had a PhD in history and his his focus was in kind of this <laughs> essentially Watchmen studies <laughs> yes <laughs> um and and then she starts to respect him a little bit more but we have to say there's a hilarious scene where he brings out a like Lone Ranger mask to wear yeah because he knows the police there wear them. Um, and that's just, that was, that was very funny. Um, but yeah, so when they land in Tulsa, she essentially goes to the headquarters of the Tulsa police where they're not, not the official headquarters, but where they have, uh, the pod and they do their interrogations. And she meets two of the, uh, the other police officers that we've seen floating around Red Scare and Pirate Jenny. Mm-hmm. And I really want us. I want there to be like a dossier about how all these cops chose their nicknames. I'm sure there will be that information eventually. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty fun. Um, but we see her basically go into the pod with uh, Looking Glass, and she knows who he is. She calls him by his name, and um, she kind of makes him explain what the pod is, and she dismissively calls it a racist detector. And he is so, yeah, so offended by that. Um, that scene is very fun, I think. Um, played really well. Um, yeah, I, I really like, I, you know, not to like get ahead too much, but I really like how Laurie is used in this episode and, and in subsequent episodes. Yeah, I, I think that they've they've identified a part of her character that I don't think is necessarily the, maybe this is a flaw for me. I, when I think of her, I don't necessarily think of Laurie in the comic as being particularly funny or sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And I, that's sort of what they lean into here in a really great way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think a key difference between Laurie in the comic and Laurie here is because in the comic, she's, you know, she's young. She's very much defined by the men in her life. 
for the most part. Um, but here she is detached from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's like the key difference. Yeah. And we get a, um, we, we get a little bit of her interaction with looking glass. And then we find out that, uh, Judd's funeral is happening in just a few hours and we then shift over to the funeral. Uh, I my notes here are somewhat incomplete. Does this happen before we go see Vite or after we see Vite the funeral? It is before. Okay, so we'll talk about the funeral first then. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there, there's a really nice, um, there's a really nice sequence of Angela talking about how she and Judd sort of knew the risks of this life and they they had talked about what they wanted the other one to do at their at their funeral and mm-hmm. so we see Angela begin to sing um the last roundup by Gene Autry yeah uh i i made a note here um likening this to uh well it it Lindelof has a um an affection to having characters sing a cappella, um, <laughs> or 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 at least sing with minimal backing, very very karaoke. Yeah, he uh, this just instantly reminded me of the um, um, the International Assassin episode yes, of yes of Leftovers. Singing Homeward Bound's in the next one, right? That's in the what's the one he sings in that episode? Um, I thought that was that one. Or maybe is that, that one. Is okay. that. I can't remember which one was which. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it is that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, another another thing, really quick, before the funeral, she's in the vehicle with Angela, and she, um, she does get another joke in. She she asks what the difference between a mass cop and a vigilante is, and yeah. she says, "I don't uh, know." I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It's it's very good. That though those scenes are very good. They are very good mm. together. Um, yeah, they are. And, and we'll get we'll get to that more in a little while. But so in the midst of the funeral, a seventh K member walks out of a, a crypt, essentially a mausoleum type structure, with a bomb attached to him, and says, "You know, if anybody uh, moves, he's going to blow the bomb. The bomb is attached to his heart, and so if his heart stops, the bomb will go off. He wants Senator Bob Benson to come with him." to basically sacrifice himself for everyone else. And and he agrees to do so. And then Lori fucking ganks him in the, in the head with a gun. <laughs> um, yeah. And instantly he starts to beep and Angela saves the day by Zach. You, you, you can tell us what Angela does. So she, she throws his body into the grave and then pushes Judd's coffin on top of him. <laughs> And it goes, to um, and it, yeah, and it goes sky high. Yeah, uh, a pretty uh, really tense, scene. really tense scene. Yeah, like very tense. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I really don't know what to say about it. I'll actually have more to say about it in the next episode. I think. Okay. But, yes. Um, yes. But yeah, as it here as it stands here, just a really tense and and chilling scene. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we switch over to Vite, right? Oh, glorious Vite. Okay. Did not expect him to be the 
my breakout character of the show. <laughs> First, of all, we should also say he's a big fan of Jamaican like ska and reggae from the '60s. He's listening. I to love Des- all the musical yes. cues and choices in the fight scenes. Yes. So he, good. He is listening to Desmond Decker and the Aces, Israelites, in the CMC. And then I, I had paused the episode to look at some of the records on his table. And one of them is called Megaton Dub 2. So he's really into dub and reggae and ska, which is amazing. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it really does. Um, so, yeah, that is that is definitely fun. So why don't, I've been talking a lot. Why don't, why don't you give us the, the Vite roundup? The rundown. Yeah. So essentially, this we see him making something. You know, he's tanning leather. He um, is cutting glass. He is doing something with a suit of armor. And he you see him doing all these things. And eventually you see that he is making what is ostensibly like a space suit or like a submersible suit made of leather. Um, very medieval looking. And he puts one of the um, is it is it Mr. Phillips? Is that the. The Mr. male character, Mr. Phillips, is like the the, the number the head one male yes. character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he's putting one of the Phillips um, in this suit, and then he there's a tank on the back, and it's not clear what he he does, but he turns the tank on, and then the next time we see this Phillips, he is like frozen yes. inside the suit. Yes. And we, we don't know what happened. We don't know if it was the, the gas that was in the suit that froze him, if he sent him to another place and he came back frozen. We have no idea. But he is just he's just losing Phillips's left and right, you <laughs> yes. know. Um, and Next so, episode, we'll know more about how the Phillips has come about. And that's a yeah, whole other conversation for a whole other day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But he decides, you know, that the, the leather he was using was not thick enough. So. Um, he goes bison hunting. <laughs> um, and so he, he spots this herd of bison and he, he shoots one and they scatter. He, he kills it with a bow and arrow, no less. Right in the um, eye. Right in the eye. Um, and uh, he, he, he fells this bison, but he is met um, by a, a character who we only know as, I think, the gamekeeper. The game that- warden. The game warden, yes, the game warden who fires a warning shot at his feet, and um, and we we cut back to Vite at his his manor mansion, whatever you want to call it, and a Crookshanks, uh, that's their name, right? Yes. Okay, a Crookshanks brings him a, a letter from the game warden, kind of warning him, you know, you. You know our agreement. You know the rules. He specifically are... mentions the terms of your captivity. Yes, yes, and he's in violation of this by his recent acts. And so, um, Byte, uh dictates a letter back to the game warden, where he specifically mentions the phrase "Republic serial villain." Yes, he does. And we should also mention <laughs> that the game warden does also thank him for his tomatoes. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. So that confirms that they are tomato trees. Yes. Um. So I mean, it's it's actually a pretty tame scene compared to what we've the seen previous we one. See. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. But still, still pretty delightful. I think. Yes. Absolutely. Super. Super fun. Um, uh-huh. 
So after this, we get another scene of Lori and Angela together in the crypt that the seventh K member comes out of. And we begin to see Lori put her cards on the table here. She thinks Angela's hiding something. She deduces that Angela... What? Sorry? Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, sorry. Uh, Skype made a weird noise. Um, she deduces that Angela found a secret compartment in Judd's closet uh, because she found it there, and she always looks for them because she found one in her dad's closet. Such a great connection, though, you know? Yes. Such yes. a good callback. Yes. Um, definitely not something I would have thought about at all. No, neither would I. Um, but we begin to see that she is she is on to Angela in some way. She knows Angela is yes. not telling the truth about something, but we don't really know what yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else before we get to Lori's hotel room you want to talk about? So I think it was in the scene, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but there was specifically mention of the Russians attempting to create a second intrinsic field generator. That is mentioned at some point in this episode, yes. Okay, I had it somewhere around here, so I, th I thought it would have been around, I thought it was it around this been. point. It could have been. Um, I think that's an interesting idea, and I don't necessarily... I wonder if that is just, again, kind of world-building, or if that is going to be a plot thread. Right. Like, that the, that the Russians are trying to create a second Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. That's a very uh, interesting uh, thing to bring up. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, um, it's not it's not necessarily something I want to see happen. I definitely I don't want to see the show turn into like two dueling Doctor Manhattans. Right. Um, but I I do like the idea of this kind of, you know, arms race and and the idea that the peace that Vite brought is already broken down. Right. Yes. Uh, we should also mention here that one of my favorite lines. And specifically line readings in the episode. And I didn't write it write it down exactly, so I'm I'm kind of guessing here. But um Lori is trying to figure out the connection with her and Judd with Angela and Judd. And she says, I'd say you're having a affair, but that would be a insane because I've seen your husband and he's fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the way she delivers that line is just really, really good. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Gene Smart is so good in this episode. Uh-huh. As Lori. She's really fantastic. Um so let me get a scene in Lori's hotel room. And I I I feel bad that I kind of led Zach on with this because he figured out the twist and I'm mad at him for for it. Immediately. I mean I, I just knew immediately. So in the beginning of the episode in her room, we see her open this briefcase and a blue light kind of emanates from it. If you've seen pulp fiction, not dissimilar from the briefcase in pulp fiction, but a blue light. And we see it pop up one other time in the middle of the episode. I believe when she's getting ready for the funeral, maybe we see it. But uh -huh. then we see her in bed, and she opens it up. And I had to pause the episode. I was laughing so hard when I first saw this. Because I did not get anyone telling me there's an absurd twist in this episode. Zach got that information and figured it out immediately. Zach, what is in this, this briefcase? There is a enormous... Dr. Manhattan dildo. <laughs> I mean, what a bizarre thing to put in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and a, 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 I think it's, I, is it an 
Esquire magazine, I think, with Laurie and Doctor Manhattan on the cover. Yeah, it's some sort of. I, I don't. I believe it's an Esquire. That's correct. Yeah, um, kind of on the inside of the briefcase. So when you open it up, it's it's facing, and so um, that that's her kink, I guess. You know. Yeah, and this is really interesting because I, I got the impression that like when you read Watchmen, by the end of by the time you meet Laurie in Watchmen, she's sort of over this relationship. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that she is both calling Mars to talk to him and also using him to get her rocks off still. Yeah. Uh, that's a very interesting character beat. And I don't know if we're going to get much more of that this season, only because the season is, I believe, nine episodes long, and we're already, you know, at the point where so much is being unfurled. I don't know how much more we're going to have time to go back in these characters' histories. But I am right. interested to sort of get more of her, more of her. That seems like a season two flashback, flashback type thing. Agreed. Yes, absolutely agreed. Yeah. Um, and then we see her go over to Petey's room, and have her wait with Petey while he's wearing his little Lone Ranger mask. Oh my gosh. Um. um yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that gets us back to the beginning of the episode and the punchline of the joke. Well, why don't you tell us the punchline, Zach? So, you know, she's gone through the the three stories of the three heroes and then a, a fourth character enter, enters and it's it's a it's a girl, a woman um, who approaches God and uh, reveals that she was the daughter of the bricklayer who threw the brick in the air and then the brick comes down uh, hits God in the head. God dies. Uh, and goes to hell. Goes to hell. Um, roll on snare drum, um, etc. It's a pretty dark joke. <laughs> it is a very dark joke. It's not very funny. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but again, uh, but again, you know, and this is, a, I guess, maybe the more heavy-handed note of the episode. I think, you know, in contrast to. Lori taking on the name Blake. This is a just really, really blatant comedian connection. Yes. And I didn't love it, honestly. It was maybe my least favorite part of the episode, but I I think the more important thing that is that she is contacting John yes. frequently. Um Yeah, I, I didn't love the joke. No, it I understand that there wanted to be a uh, sort of some connective tissue throughout mm -hmm. the episode, and then this works for that. But I don't think you gain too much from it. You basically you it, really don't. It shows you that it, well. It shows you two things. It shows you that Lori is is still trying to connect with John, and it shows yes. you that Lori has taken on parts of her father for good and for bad. Yes. Uh, yeah. but, it, but those things all could have been told to you without this joke. Right, right. It's no, it's no Pagliacci. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, well played, sir. Um, and then Lori leaves this booth. And by the way, you mentioned the phone booths are these like little, these like space age yeah. 1950s so, things. 
so quick note about that too that I did want to mention that we didn't bring up. There's there's a name attributed to them. This uh, a character named Lady True. Yes. Um, who is apparently the creator of these boxes and also attached to something called the Millennium Clock. Yes. At one point in the episode. Um. So just a, a little. Again, a little bit of world building going on. And we, uh, we, we, we will meet Lady True in a couple episodes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then she's walking out of this uh, this booth, and what drops right in front of her but a car from the sky. And yes. It appears to be Angela's car that disappeared at the end of episode two. Mm-hmm. But we see her not necessarily understand that this is the payoff from something we've seen in the past. It seems to us like it seems to her that Dr. Manhattan dropped this for her. Isn't that the impression you got? That's the impression that I get, yeah, because she kind of looks up into the sky and and sees Mars and, and something happens and, and she kind of takes it as a sign that John hears her. Right. And we don't know if he does or does not. Uh, we presume that's Angela's car, but we don't see the flying thing that picked it up the first time. Right. So who knows, really? Who can say? Uh, so overall, Zach, where did this episode rank for you compared to the first two? Um, you know, that is a tough question. I definitely think I liked it better than the first episode. I think I would put it on par with the second episode, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I might have liked it a little bit more, but I think it was pretty close to the second episode. It's a very different episode. It is very different. Agreed. Um. I, I really, I mean, I do, the thing that it really has going for it is Lori, um, mm. and, um, yeah, I, I did really enjoy it a lot. Yeah, um, I am, I think that this episode somewhat changes the trajectory of the season in interesting ways. I think in some ways, We'll we'll talk about it with future episodes, but but this yeah is a, we will we will. But this is a fun episode. Um, we mm-hmm. should mention that next week's episode is titled "If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own." We'll be talking about that next week, and um, until then, you can find Zach on Twitter at WilkerFox. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and uh, we hope you tell your friends about it if you're enjoying it. Uh, we are going to be doing this for the season, and we'll probably do one episode after the season's over just to, to wrap up and then you know who knows when we'll pop up again but you know this has been super fun so far so we hope you guys are enjoying it we're enjoying it and remember until next time who watches the watchman zach and brian watch the watchman